Have your Bible this morning. Turn to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 3. In preparing us for what we'll begin to talk about today, I want to go back all the way to verse 12 and read and go to the end of the chapter for us because it all fits together as one main thought that Paul is sharing with us here. Where he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Beloved, I went back and read through the whole section there because it all ties together in supporting the main idea of what Paul is trying to get across to the church at Philippi, and that is to press on towards Christ-likeness. Pursuing after Christ-likeness. The purpose of our life as believers is to be pursuing Jesus and to be pursuing the becoming more like Christ. And he's been giving us principles that we need to follow in order to do that. We need to be finishing the race, focusing on that finish line of becoming more like Christ, following the patterns and the teachings that we already know, following after those that we see around us that are living godly lives and following their example. And here this morning as we're going to begin to focus in on those last two verses on verses 20 and 21. He gives us one other principle that we need to have in our pursuit of Christ. In our pursuit of Christ's likeness. And that is, beloved, you need to be fixing your eyes on the coming of Christ. You need to be looking for the coming of Christ. One of the truths that we believe and that we proclaim to others as Christians is that Jesus will return one day. And we do so because this truth about the return of Christ is spoken of, is written of in 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament. If we were to go back for a moment, 
We could go back to the very end of the life and the ministry of Jesus here on the earth before he went to the cross. And if you recall, he gathered his disciples together and right before he was about to be betrayed, you remember he was spending time with them and talking with them and he shared with them that he was going to be leaving them. And he told them, don't let your heart be troubled by this truth that I'm going to leave, he says, because I'm going to go to my father's house and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back so that I can receive you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. You recall after his death, after his resurrection, Jesus spent about 40 days here on the earth speaking and teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And at the end of that 40-day period, remember he ascended there publicly right before their eyes and he ascended up slowly into the clouds and he disappeared and went back to heaven. And you remember that they were reminded by the angels that were there that he was going to return again just as he had departed. But those words that were spoken to the disciples by those angels, those words that were spoken to the disciples of Jesus by Jesus himself were said just a little shy than 2,000 years ago. Which means the church has been saying and has been believing this truth that Jesus is going to come for almost 2,000 years. And beloved, it was a part of the teaching in the early church. It was a part of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. I find it amazing and even interesting to think about Paul that spent probably the least amount of time with the church that he had founded in the church at Thessalonica. Most likely Paul only spent a few weeks with them. But look with me for just a moment over in 2 Thessalonians. And look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul says, beginning in verse 1, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. But notice what he says in verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Paul, though he only spent a few weeks with them, made sure that he spoke the whole counsel of God to them, and a part of that counsel that he spoke to them was about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're gathering together with him. This has been a fundamental truth of the church, of the early church since its foundation. Now, as I said, this is something that we've been sharing and God's people, the church, have been saying for almost 2,000 years. And understand that the world, when they hear us saying this, 
thinks that we are foolish. And they mock us. And the response of the world to the message that Jesus is going to come is to ridicule us and to rewrite history. You say, where do you get that from? Well, turn, if you will, for just a moment towards the back of your Bible to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3. And remember, we are living in the last days. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, listen to what Peter wrote to these Christians. He says in verse 3 of chapter 3, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, and here in verse 4, he's telling us what it is they're going to be mocking Christians about. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So you see, beloved, this is what the unbelieving world thinks about our message when we speak about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They ridicule us, which is what he says there in verse 3, but in verse 4, in the midst of their ridicule, what they tend to do is rewrite history. Because in verse 4, they are rewriting history when they say, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Because we know, according to the book of Genesis, that everything hasn't continued just as it was from the beginning of creation because you had a flood that came here and destroyed the world that God had created. That's why he says in verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes. That is, it intentionally, they intentionally escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. But it's by his word that the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So we understand that this is how the world responds to the message of the coming of Christ. Because they know that with the coming of Christ, as he says here for the ungodly, it's going to be the destruction and the wrath of God that's going to come down upon them. But what about for us as believers? What about us? As we read in the scriptures, as we hear it taught, as we hear it preached, as we study it, we think about the coming of Jesus. Well, clearly, beloved, it should serve as a motivation for us to share the gospel, to tell people about Christ. But I also want you to see, and this is what we're going to be looking at in Philippians 3 in just a moment, but I want you to see it here in 2 Peter, that it should also move us and motivate us to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ-likeness. Notice what he says here in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and his works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Peter is saying the same thing that Paul is saying. That live in light of the coming of the day of the Lord. Live in light of the return of Christ. And if you're living in light of the return of Christ, you're looking for that day. You're hastening that day. And that should have an impact on your life and the way you live right here, right now. That is, you want to be found spotless and blameless. You want to be, as he says there in verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be? In holy conduct and godliness, looking for that day. But beloved, it wasn't just Peter. And you notice Peter here makes reference to the writings of Paul. He's saying Paul wrote about this. Since we're right here, just move one book over and to 1 John and go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And look at what he says in verse 2. Beloved, now, that is right now, we are children of God. And it is not appeared as yet what we will be. Again, notice when you read God's word carefully, this is what we are. We are the children of God, but yet it has not appeared in the future what it is we will be. But here's what we know. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We know that when Jesus comes, and this is something we're going to talk about, we go back to Philippians 3, that when Jesus comes, when he appears again for us, that our being conformed to the image of Christ will be perfect and will be complete, that we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. But notice now, don't stop reading there. Read on into verse 3 and you see it should have an impact on how you live your life right now today. That everyone, not just some, not just most, but everyone who has this hope, this hope that he's talking about in verse 2, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. John says the same thing Peter said over in 2 Peter 3, that everyone who has this hope of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the process of purifying themselves, that is, becoming more like Christ because they know that he is pure. 
Look with me for just a moment. Let's go back to some of the writings of Paul. Let's just go back to the book of Colossians for just a moment. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. Because here's, here's how Paul unfolds this for us. In verses 1 through 4, he's talking about who we are now in Christ. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And notice here in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed... That's talking about the coming of Christ. When Christ is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Paul here is teaching the same thing that John was teaching in 1 John chapter 3. That when we see him, when he appears, we will be like him. Paul just says, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Based on this reality of knowing that when Christ is revealed that you will be like Christ, verse 5, therefore, here's what you're supposed to be doing right now. What you're supposed to be doing right now, he begins to unfold all of this. You're supposed to be now putting off sin in your life and putting on righteousness, putting on Christ-likeness. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Put them all aside, he says in verse 8. Since, he says, you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Paul there is going back to what we've been talking about in Philippians chapter 3 that those who have been born again and have been saved, the old man in that sense has been put aside and they put on a new self. You're a new person, a new creature. But there's still something that's still being renewed, he says there in verse 10, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him that is the image of Christ. So as those, he says in verse 12, who've been chosen of God, put on. You see, put off, he said earlier in chapter 3. Now put on these things. And what he begins to describe there in verse 12 is the things we're supposed to be putting on. First, he speaks about how we're supposed to live with one another in the body of Christ. Then he talks about how we're supposed to live with one another in our homes. Then he talks about how we're supposed to live with one another out in the community and at work. And this goes all the way over to into chapter 4, verse 6. But that all comes back to verse 5, chapter 3, one word when he says, therefore. That is, therefore, because when Christ is revealed, you will be revealed also with him in glory, knowing that, live your life this way. 
Put off sin and put on compassion. Put on mercy. Put on grace. Put on kindness. Live with one another in this way. Live in your homes in this way. Live at work with others in this way. Live out in your community in this way. It's very practical. The understanding of the return of Jesus Christ is very, very practical for our everyday life. So we think back to what we read a moment ago in Philippians 3. Paul is still talking about pressing on. And he's saying that as we press on, one of the things that we need to do is to be fixated on the coming of Christ. Fixated on the coming of Christ. In fact, if you will, let's go back to that for a moment now. Let's go back to Philippians 3. And the key thought about this fixating on the coming of, the coming of Christ is what he says there in verse 20 when he says, we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That idea there of eagerly waiting, I want you to see here in just a moment how that is directly tied to the coming of Christ on several occasions in the writing of the Apostle Paul. But it means to be patiently anticipating, looking for, expecting. He's saying, beloved, you press on because you are looking for and patiently anticipating and expecting the coming of your Savior. So if you summarize what we've looked at here in these verses, beginning back at verse 12 to verse 21 here, what you see is Paul said, first of all, don't be looking behind you. Don't keep looking back at your past and getting hung up on things, whether it was past sins or past successes that you've had. Live in the present, and as you live in the present, don't look behind. But he did say, look forward. Look for the being made like Christ. Look at that finish line. Look at the final result and what's going to happen. Keep looking at that. And he also told us, look around you. Look around at people that are exemplifying Christ's likeness and begin to follow them. Begin to mimic them. Begin to imitate them. So don't look back, but look forward. Look around you, and now basically what he's telling you here in verse 20 is, and look up. Look up for the coming of Christ. Be anticipating that. This idea here again of eagerly waiting. Let me just show you this, to show you how this is so directly tied to the coming of Christ. If you will, I'll just give you a few of them and then we'll turn to a few of them. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says there that they were awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5, 
He speaks about that we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. That is, we are waiting for that hope of finally being perfected in righteousness. Over in Titus chapter 2, he speaks about us looking for that blessed hope. We're looking for it. But turn with me, if you will, over to the book of Romans for just a moment. Turn with me over to Romans, Romans chapter 8. Where we are waiting and creation is waiting. Remember, creation was subject to futility because of the fall of man. Remember, when God created this world, this world was good. Everything about this world was good, but whenever man fell and Adam sinned, remember, God didn't just curse man, God cursed the ground. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves Notice again, waiting eagerly. What are we waiting eagerly for? Our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And that's going to be the very truth we're seeing that Paul is teaching there in Revelation, I mean in Philippians chapter 3. He says we're sitting there and we're waiting and we're looking and anticipating the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to transform our bodies. This is what he's speaking about here in Romans 8. That we are eagerly waiting for adoption as sons for the redemption of our bodies. For he says, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he has already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Look with me for just a moment over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll pick it up beginning in verse 9 where he speaks about the church at Thessalonica. He says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you how you turn to God from idols. And notice, they turn to God from idols, and here's what they're doing. They're doing two things now. That turn to God from idols is saying, you were saved, you were redeemed, you were born again, you repented of your sins, and you put your faith in Christ to one, to serve a living and true God. And in verse 10, the other thing is, is to wait. To wait for his son from heaven. 
whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who will rescue us from the wrath to come. You see, beloved, as Christians, we are waiting for his son. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Because we know that when he comes, he's going to rescue us from the wrath to come. That's why Paul says later on in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we're not destined for wrath. We're not destined for that because, as he says earlier in chapter 4, because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for the church. So it's not going to come upon us in that way. We're going to live together with Him so we can encourage one another and be built up with one another as we should. Beloved, this is something that we as Christians are called on by God to do. We are called on to be waiting. And again, that waiting is not just sitting around being passive, but the idea there is of really looking and longing for it. I mean, you read back there in Romans chapter 8, you get the sense of what Paul is saying is that they're longing. Creation is longing for the revelation of Jesus Christ because it wants to be set free from the slavery that it is under. And we should be longing for the return of Christ. And please notice, it's not as much about looking for an event. We're looking for a person. We're looking for Jesus. This is why this fits with what Paul says in Philippians 1, that for me to live is Christ. My life is about Christ. And a part of me living and my life being about Christ is that I'm looking for Christ. I want Christ to come. We're looking for the person of Jesus Christ. This is what he's calling on us to do. And this is what is required, beloved, to press on. Because as we're thinking about the results of that and what that means, it should move us, stir us, cause us to want to become more like Jesus, put off sin in our life and put on Christ-likeness. Now, we're not going to get into all the, the details of what we see there in Philippians 3. In some ways, really, I wanted just to introduce the topic to you and what Paul is addressing here, and we'll come back and we're going to tie that together, and you can see how it is that this fits within our responsibility and pressing on towards Christ-likeness. And what you're going to see, if you go back there with me for just a moment, is that you need to be fixated on the coming of Christ for two reasons. And they're given to us here in verse 20 and in verse 21. The first reason is, is because that's where your citizenship is. You are ultimately a citizen of heaven. 
And secondly, because when Jesus comes back, that's when you will have that final conformity to Christ. You will be made perfectly like Christ. And we need to explore that together, especially there in verse 21, and think about it in a bigger picture because, again, remembering our redemption is twofold in the sense it's God shaping us on the inside in our character, but our redemption is also about our bodies. We're going to live forever with a body. But right now, we live with a body that can't live forever. And we live with a body that can't fully subject itself and doesn't fully subject itself to the ways of God, the Word of God, the will of God. So we need our bodies that we have, that God gave us, to be transformed, to be renewed. It's not that what God gave us is sinful or evil. It's just it has been impacted by sin. So Paul is saying, I am looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because ultimately that's where my citizenship is. My citizenship is in heaven and when Jesus comes, I'm going to get to go be with Jesus and not only that, He's going to transform my body, this body of which I have a daily struggle with sin. And I'm no longer going to struggle with that. And that's why it is so important that we understand what Paul is saying here about our citizenship and our ultimate conformity into the image of Christ. That God has the power to subject everything to himself. And that he will do that one day. And he will give you a body that will be able to perfectly love him, serve him, worship him. And oh, how we should be longing for that. Longing for that day. But let me wrap this up for this morning in this way. The first and foremost question I would ask you is this, is are you ready for the coming of Christ? Are you ready? Because you see, beloved, listen to these words from Scripture. It says of unbelievers... In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, that these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. You see, the coming of Christ is not Something that's going to be marveled at by the unbeliever. They know that they're going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Remember we read there in Philippians chapter 3 when Paul was talking about those that are enemies of the cross. He says, whose end is destruction. 
And that idea of destruction is not meaning that they're going to just cease to exist. It means they're going to spend eternity, as it says there, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They're going to spend eternity separated from God in the eternal lake of fire. Those that are not ready. So the question, first and foremost, in your heart this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Are you going to go through the day of wrath? Are you going to experience this eternal destruction? It's not because God has not given you the opportunity to be spared. He has. He sent you His Son to come and to take His wrath upon Himself for our sins. And beloved, if you will put your faith in His Son, if you will truly repent, remember what we read there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? They turned from their sins. They turned from the idols and the pursuits of their life to serve and to trust in a living God. Have you turned? Have you turned and put your faith in Christ? If you have done that, then beloved, you're ready. You are spiritually ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just need to make sure that you're not getting so overwhelmed with the pleasures of this world that you stop looking for and longing for the return of Christ. That you're wanting Christ to be here. Beloved, the more I see our society and our culture and the more I see our nation drifting more and more away from God and away from His Word, it reminds me that Jesus needs to come. The King needs to come. The kingdom needs to come. But there's a part of me that my heart grieves when I think about that because I know that there's going to be a cost for those who don't know Christ. Beloved, do you know Him? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you truly repented and put your faith in Him? I hope you have, and if you have not, I hope you will this day, this moment, right now. Put your faith in Christ. Turn from your idols. Turn from your sins. And trust Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.